Is that the new iPhone? Yeah, got it on T-Mobile. Fastest iPhone deserves America's fastest LTE network. Introducing the amazing iPhone 8. It's the best iPhone yet, now on America's best unlimited network. For a limited time, save up to $300 on the amazing iPhone 8 after 24 monthly bill credits. And now join T-Mobile's iPhone upgrade program for free. Eligible trade-in and finance agreement required. If you cancel service, you may lose promo credits. Contact us for details. Video at 480p. Small fraction of users over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speed. See store for details. Locked On Trailblazers, your daily Portland Trailblazers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to an August 25th Thursday edition of the Locked On Blazers podcast. I'm your host, Eric Garcia Gunderson, a writer for BlazersEdge.com and formerly the Blazers beat writer for the Vancouver Columbian. Welcome back. It is a Thursday. It was a week of some kind of uneventful stuff in Blazerland. Obviously, we had the Festus Azili knee procedure that went down on Tuesday, I believe. Yeah, I think it was Tuesday, um, and we had a quick reaction to that. Obviously, it's um, you know it, it, it's a bummer for him, but you know it does create a lot of opportunities for some other Blazers on the team. Ed Davis, it creates more opportunities for Myers Leonard. It creates more opportunities for Noah Vonley to get some time, and I, I think this could end up being uh, of benefit and. Today, we talked about that a little bit on our podcast. I was had the pleasure of being joined by Portland's new play-by-play voice, Kevin Calabro, the legend from the Sonics days. He covers the NBA or did cover the NBA for the NBA on ESPN Radio. He announced the finals the last couple of years, uh, and I had the pleasure uh, of chatting with him about the Blazers, about his approach. And, uh, you know, his time in the league. But before we get to that, first, a word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. You know, buying tickets online has always been a confusing process. It, every time I've looked for tickets, bowl game tickets, duck games, looking at going to a Mariners game, hopefully by the end of this season, although they, you know, they dropped a couple games recently and, but, you know, that's bound to happen. It's baseball, 162 games. But it, it's always been hard to find the best deal for that game or show you want to go to. And none of those older ticket sites want to change that. And SeatGeek is different because they've come along and created an amazing app and a website that makes it easier than ever for fans to buy and sell their tickets. And I'm looking at trying to go to a duck game here soon. I'm waiting. I'm, I'm trying to make sure that I get the best deal. And SeatGeek is always the first place that I look to find tickets for a game or a concert. I have the app on my phone. I just looked at tickets the other day. I've been looking at tickets all this week and everything about it is designed to make your life as the consumer, as a sports or music fan easier. And it does all the price comparison for you by searching multiple ticket sites and ensuring that you get the best possible deal. They do all the work and you save time and money and they want to make you, they want to make sure that you get the best bang for your buck and they grade all the deals on a deal score 
from 1 to 100 with 100 being the best and 1 being the worst and you'll see underpriced seats or deals that fit your budget and the deal score app will help you find those deals and best of all about SeatGeek is that they're giving my listeners a $20 rebate on their first SeatGeek purchase so to claim that $20 rebate you download the SeatGeek app if you don't already have it go to the settings tab click add a promo code enter promo code LOBLAZERS and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code LOBLAZERS today. And thank you uh, to our sponsors at SeatGeek. And the Blazers are, are having an interesting season because they didn't really have much of a transition on the court, but of course, probably the biggest story of the offseason locally here was the turnover of the broadcast team from Mike Barrett and Mike Rice, who had held it down for quite a number of years. And the acquisition of Kevin Calabro, who is a nationally known and nationally recognized play-by-play announcer. Obviously, he has Northwest roots uh, from his days calling the Sonics games. He famously did not go to Oklahoma City when the team moved. And he he's one of the best. I, I listen to him even on uh, the radio a lot because I, I end up listening to basketball on the radio, especially in the finals and conference finals a lot of times. And uh, he he's one of the best. And I was happy to be joined by him. So uh, without further ado, uh, the Locked On Blazers interview with Kevin Calabro, the new play by play announcer for the Portland Trail Blazers. Well, I'm happy to be joined by the Portland Trail Blazers' new play by play man. Uh, former Sonics broadcaster, NBA on ESPN Radio, NBA on TNT, various various stops along the way. Kevin Calabro, thank you for joining me on Locked On Blazers. My pleasure, Eric. Good to talk to you today. Yeah, uh, how's your summer been? I mean, I, obviously the season ended not too long ago with the finals going seven games. I mean, how, how have you kind of? And then obviously right after that, uh, you had the announcement that. Uh, you were going to take over the play-by-play duties for the Trailblazers, and uh, so I guess how's your summer been? How, have you been unwinding and, and and you know spending some some off time? Well, uh, it's interesting you should ask. I noticed yesterday there was a stat that uh, we were yesterday exactly sixty-four days from the final game of the NBA Finals, and we are now sixty-four days from the beginning of the NBA season. So we've got to put things in the proper context, but the summer has been great. Um, obviously, uh, lightning strikes occasionally, and uh, it was uh, pretty surprising that the, the Blazers actually reached out to me the way that they did during the, uh, the playoffs. And uh, they, as the business sometimes uh, can go, um, uh, wanted to make uh, a change. And so they've made a change and, uh, I was introduced, uh, of course, during actually during the finals. I think it was before Game Six. Is the new television voice and face uh, for the Portland Trailblazers. So I'm uh, extremely gratified that they would reach out when they did. Um, I was looking to get back with a team uh, to get with an organization uh, because I just felt like uh, I needed more involvement uh, in a team. And through the course of 82 games and the playoffs and so forth. Uh, it's always nice uh, to walk into a, an environment as I did with ESPN radio and with TNT and with uh, NBA TV, where you're 
you're doing marquee games, certainly, but uh, you're, you're broadcasting two teams that you don't really have an emotional affiliation with. Um, it was good. Obviously, there's a, a bit of objectivity there that, that you have on the national level that you have to have on the uh, national level. You have to be objective, certainly on a local level, but from an emotional standpoint, yeah, I think you get more involved with those teams and more involved with the players, the coaching staff, uh, the front offices, and so forth. Uh, there are certain challenges, I think, involved in that that you, that you aren't presented with when you're doing national broadcasts and so forth on a national platform that I'm really looking forward to. Uh, and being, obviously, in a community and doing 40 to 41 events at home where you don't have to get on, a, on an airplane, uh, go fly across the country to do games, that certainly was appealing as well, even though there are obviously more games that we are going to be doing with an 82-game schedule. So uh, the Portland Trailblazers winning 44 last year, just that just kind of came out of nowhere. <laughs> I mean, you know, when, yeah. you, when, you stood, when you stood back at the beginning of the season, you looked at the team, four of the starters gone through free agency and so forth through trade. Um LaMarcus Aldridge vacating, uh, big man Lopez gone. Obviously, the West Matthews injury has certainly set him back and then moving on through free agency and so forth. Um, you know, to, to, to come on the way they did, particularly in the second half of the season, to win the 44 and get into the playoffs, beat a Clipper ball club that uh, obviously lost Chris Paul, Blake Griffin in game four of the series and beat him at six. And then, you know, play the Warriors, I thought, pr- play them pretty tough, actually. Had some interesting matchups against the Warriors. Certainly, it's that's encouraging for the Blazers as they look ahead to next season. Certainly. I mean, that th- that season really caught everybody by surprise. Even, you know, the most optimistic of people that were, you know, projecting them, I think we're putting them in the 38-37 win category more so than, you know, getting to 44, getting a fifth seed and making it to the playoffs. Uh, and... The, you know, did you, you know, obviously you're, you're traveling a lot during last season. Did you get a chance to kind of watch them and, and see how they developed over the season? And I guess, what do you think about their future, you know, as you come here to Portland to kind of, you know, have a closer look? But, you know, before you get that closer look, I guess, what would you say is your uh, impressions of, of the team so far? Well, look, with Damian Lillard uh, and C.J. McCollum, who are both signed, uh, sealed, and delivered through 2012, you have, uh, I think, an incomparable backcourt. Uh, there are a few backcourts in the NBA, I think, that can size up to, to Lillard, who averaged the 25 a game last year, just short of seven assists, uh, shoots 37% from three, and then in CJ, you just had a kid that just, just came on so strong last year. We saw glimpses of that uh, in the playoffs last year, two years ago, when they played Memphis. Uh, he really came on strong. They had a numbers problem, obviously, with the flawless sideline, Wesley Matthews, and so forth. McCollum was given an opportunity there. And, you know, he's, he's shaken the injury problems that he has had going back to Lehigh, his last year at Lehigh, and then lingering in, into uh, his, his first couple of years at Portland. But he averaged 21 a game last year. And he's shooting close to 42% from three. So you got two guys you've got to tangle with in the backcourt there that are just sensational. And Lillard and McCollum, I think that's where you certainly start with the Portland Trailblazers. And then the fact that they brought everybody back uh, with Alan Crabb coming back, I thought that was essential. A floor spacer shoots 39% from three last year and averaged the 26 minutes. You add uh, Evan Turner to the mix as well. And, you know, Turner's a 28-year-old guy who, was um, 
obviously seen as a, a, a highly, highly touted guy coming out of Ohio State and playing for Philadelphia. And we all know the problems that Philadelphia has, has had over the last several years and the turmoil there and <laughs> the churn that, 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 that they have had. You got to look back, though, at the last two years that Turner has played with Boston as a starter and then, of course, coming off the bench last year, he did just terrific work. Now, he's a career 30% three-point shooter. He was 24% from three last year. But remember, he attempted just one attempt per ball game last year with Boston. I think Terry Stotts is a guy who's given his team green lights with parameters, obviously. There are rules to the use of the three-point shot. But let's face it, this is a, a sensational offensive team, sixth in the league last year in points. Defensively, they have their issues uh, in giving up points, and that's certainly where they, they need to improve this year. But in Turner, you also have a guy that can get you close to five assists a game, five rebounds, and the 10 points. And about 28 minutes of work last year for uh, for Boston, both starting and coming off the bench. So I can see Turner having a whole lot of upside. It gives you another passer, another guy that can arrange your floor, another guy that can score in the paint, that can uh, get to the rim, uh, is active at the rim as well, and can defend uh, multiple positions. So I, I thought, you know, the numbers aside, I kind of put those – it was a it was a wild summer, as you know, Eric, with all the money thrown around. I, I kind of I just table the numbers and talk about skill set and what it can bring to your ball club, and I, I think he's got a multiple skill set and uh, will really complement and I think take a lot of pressure off the two youngsters, McCollum and uh, and Lillard, uh, when teams come to trap and pressure and pinch them as, as as they will do, try to get the ball out of their hands. It gives you another guy to make plays out there on the floor in Evan Turner, either coming off the bench or starting for this Portland team. And, and of course, that will all be sorted out in camp as well as to whether or not he will be a starter. Will he come off the bench? Will Crab be starting or will he come off the bench and so forth? I, I think one, you know, I think I was a little, you know, the numbers probably messed with me a little bit too in my perception of it at the beginning. But one of the things I've been thinking about a lot lately with regards to Turner is the, like you said the pressure that he takes off of them offensively but I also think that that could translate to the defensive end because you know then Lillard and McCollum will have more energy to expend on the defensive end if they're not required to create every shot offensively for the team and I, I think that the the Turner you know I think the Turner addition will definitely you know pay some dividends there in terms of just energy for the guys yeah it gives you a bigger guard obviously to defend and pick and roll and so forth um, for example when you play the Warriors and I, I match them up against the Warriors because if you're going to be the best if you aspire to win a championship then you got to beat the best mm-hmm. uh, and the Golden State Warriors are the best in the West you know they won the 73 last year make the case that, you know, if it weren't for the suspension and the hot-headedness and the, the emotional outburst of of Draymond Green and his loss in Game 5 and then the injury to Bogut as well in Game 5, uh, you know, they, they very possibly could have gotten it done again this year. And then we're talking about back-to-back championships. So if you match up now with the Warriors, you've got to anticipate a pick-and-roll that involves Curry, Thompson, and Durant. <laughs> so <laughs> you're going to need... You're going to need as much size as you can, you know, to defend a high pick and roll involving a Durant and Curry or, you know, a, a Thompson, Durant, or, or you know, all those combinations. It just all sounds like so, a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. To have a bigger defender out there, one of those positions certainly is going to, is going to serve you well. 
you know, and Alan Crabb may have been one of the better perimeter defenders that Portland had a year ago as well, not to mention the 37% we just talked about from three-point range ability to space the floor and allow some driving lanes for the McCollum and Lillard as well. So bringing Crabb back, and again, uh, regardless of numbers, irrespective of the numbers, I, I thought it was a signing he had to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, to bring him back with his, his skill set as it, as it is, with his length, ability to play a couple of positions, shoot the threes, and so forth. You know, and then the addition of Azili, and, and we know that with the knee procedure that was announced yesterday, he's going to be out six weeks, which would put him in to camp, I presume, about the third week of camp in October and so forth. But, you know, from where I look at it, I, I didn't see Azili as, as, as a guy that was going to help you um, – uh, from from the beginning of the season on, uh, kind of an experimental type thing, sixteen million dollar deal with only the one year guarantee, with the eight million dollars in the first year. We know about the injuries he's had in the past. I thought it was a good roll of the dice for the Blazers, mm-hmm. and he's a guy that would will help you late in the season, if if for no other, no other reason, because he can plug the gaps. He's massive, plays pretty good pick and roll, can hedge and move. You can throw a lot to him at the rim as well. But this opens up, I think, space for Myers Leonard to really prove what he can do. You know, Leonard can space the floor with his three-point shots. He can play the four. He probably is going to have to play the five at 7-1 and 245. I don't think he gives away a whole lot defensively. He's big enough. He's got leverage. He knows how to use leverage. And, you know, until he got hurt in March, he was having – actually, he's looking back at his February. He had a terrific month of February and then went out with the shoulder problem. Uh, and he is slated to come back, I guess, with the uh, last I, I read was he's slated to come back and get into some contact drills as well and probably the second week of camp. So you know, here's a guy who gets you 8-5 and five in 22 minutes a game in the 66 he played last year, shooting 38% from three. Spaces the floor extremely well. I think it would become even more of a three-point threat. I mean, this is a guy who just shot a handful of threes when he was at, at Illinois. So it's something that he's growing into and adapting into. And I thought, you know, we saw him turn the corner last year uh, until he, he, he suffered the shoulder injury. You know, and, and they, that the, the thing about the Blazers is they have such, such depth and redundancy that I think you can afford to have Azili come along slowly and rehab the knee and get himself in great shape. And that's why I say I think he's a back-end season guy uh, that um, – uh, I think you could you could move gently into the process in the beginning of the year. You know, Noah Vonley's another guy that they have high expectations for, a guy that started last year because they felt like he was going to be – he would be more effective as he started playing with that starting unit, and Leonard would be better coming off the bench. But Vonley's, I think, got some, some stuff to prove. And Ed Davis as well up front, a terrific rebounder coming off the bench a year ago. So you have a number of combinations at the five and at the four – uh, Alpha Rucamino, we haven't even talked about, more than likely he's going to start a four. And Mo Harkless is a guy at a three or a stretch four position, I think, who's been very effective and was shown statistically to really, really click with McCollum and with Damian Lillard last year. I mean, their, their plus minus was through the roof when those three guys were out on the floor. So redundancy, length of the bench, uh, I think going to be the hallmark of the Portland Trailblazers this year. Yeah, and, and that's a recipe to win a lot of games, especially in the regular season when you have 
you know, teams that, you know, they have injuries here and there, just like you're saying, already they're start probably going to, you know, have to bring Azealia along slowly. And, you know, they've got the depth to be able to deal with that. And it gives Noah Vonley a chance. And like you said, it gives Myers Leonard a chance to really show what he can do. I think, you know, he has it's been a slow process for him because he came so young into the league with with very little experience didn't really know how to play NBA defense quite yet and it takes big guys a long time that's the one thing that I've always heard about big guys is that it usually takes them a long time to kind of at least in most cases to learn the game learn how to really defend that pick and roll which is you know the 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 number one thing you have to defend nowadays in the NBA and uh I think he's going to get it eventually. And you already talked about his size. I mean, he's so big, so strong, and he's pretty mobile for how big he is that he could really be, I think he could be a good defensive player, you know, sooner than people think. I mean, he's going into his fourth year now. So, uh, I, you know, I think he could be very good. Yeah, I mean, he's got wingspans, seven four wingspans. He's got some of the biggest mitts in the NBA. And, and you know what, what an athlete he is. I think that what they were attempting to do in the summer when he averaged 12 points and close to nine rebounds a game was to develop a little more stretch to his offense, get him out around the elbow, mm-hmm. maybe shoot a few threes as well. I had a chance to see him play a couple of games in the summer. And you're right. Defensively, there's, there's a big learning curve there. Certainly uh, offensively, when you look at his jump shot, the technique to me looks fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just getting consistency and obviously uh, getting confidence in the shot. You know, and Mason Plumley, we we've neglected to talk about your right. starter. You know, yeah, exactly. twenty six minutes a game, he started all eighty two last year and averaged nine points, close to eight rebounds a game, and was third on the team in assists, just under three a ball game. And I thought Terry brilliantly did a, a terrific job to use Plumley in the pick and roll situation on the offensive end, and allow him to handle the ball and actually distribute the basketball. Uh, they they really in the second half of the season, I thought just just struck on gold uh, because of Plumlee's decision-making, his ability and willingness to distribute the basketball as well. So you can, you can bet that Plumlee's going to try to add another wrinkle or two to his game where he could face up on that little pick and pop or when he slips the screen and get, get that 12 to 15 footer going straight away uh, or at the elbow as well and, and become a much more effective offensive player in that regard. So, you, you talk about a great deal of depth in the middle. Uh, you know, it'll. I assume it will be Plumlee's position to lose as they go to camp. That's what I think will be most intriguing, Eric, is, you know, these starting positions, obviously, Lillard, McCollum. I would assume Plumlee at the four, or at the five. Uh, Al Farouk Amino will be at the four with Davis and Vonley to back him up. And then at three spot, as we mentioned, is uh, it, it'll be interesting. You know, will it be Turner? Will it be Crabb? Uh, you know, possibly uh, stretch that position out. Would it be Mo Harkless, who, while he didn't shoot the three well last year, at times was sensational. I had a game late in the year in Houston where he hit some early threes, and it just created turmoil for the Houston Rockets, who, as we know, defensively are pretty challenged anyway. But uh, the guy at 6'9", as long, as rangy, runs the floor. He's a terrific defender, willing defender. Um, and I wouldn't count him out, uh, you know, looking at, in a situational uh, type of um, arrangement, could become a starter as well. I, I think I think Terry may match up depending on what he feels is going to be the strength on any given night. 
um, in, in, in terms of rotating uh, situationally as, as starters at that three position. That, that, that'll be fun to watch and see what happens there. I, I could definitely see that uh, w- with regards to Harkless or starting Crab or Turner. I think he could alternate that a lot. Uh, I'd love to ask you, you mentioned Terry Stotts and all the, the stuff that he's done. You were with him you know, throughout the, his early coaching days in Seattle. What, what can you tell us about you know, like what, was, what was a young Terry Stotts like when, when you were working with him up in Seattle? Well, Terry, I think, was very studious. He was quiet. Uh, he had a, a real nice manner with, with the players. Uh, he was uh, an easygoing coach, but he was not a coach you could walk over, certainly, mm-hmm. uh, from a player standpoint. Um, you know, he had, some, he, he, had, he had and has uh, a, a lot of backbone, no doubt about that. But I think it's very much a player's coach. And understands how long the season is and how you have to adapt and change and think on the fly and be very creative with your talent as he did last year. I think, uh, you know, that was certainly demonstrated last year, uh, the way he turned the team around and then the second half of the season and the way he adapted and, uh, to all those injuries and uh, the year before, obviously, and to, uh, the, the loss of the four starters, as we mentioned at the top of the, the broadcast here. Um, you know, he was coaching under George Carl, who was a larger than life figure who could be sometimes erratic <laughs> during the course of the season. Who could be very emotional, uh, during the course of the season could be tough on his staff, could be tough on his players, certainly. But I thought Terry did it, you know, just a terrific job. He and Dwayne Casey. I mean, when you consider those were our top assistant coaches, you know, those great runs that we had in the in the mid nineties here in Seattle, the, with the Sonics over a five year period, winning an average of 55, 56 wins. Um, and then bouncing back the way they did after first round series losses to, uh, the Denver Nuggets, as you know, the first time an eight beat a one, albeit in a five game series and then losing the next year to the Lakers as well in the first round and then keeping that staff intact and bringing them back and then the team. Eventually, be a great Utah Jazz basketball team and got into the finals against the then 72 win Chicago Bulls. Uh, you know, Terry learned a great deal, not only from George, but uh, in comparing notes with Dwayne Casey and, and experiencing what he did uh, in the mid 90s with the Supersonics and then later, of course, as a head coach for the Atlanta and, and the Milwaukee Bucks and, and, and given that rare opportunity that not many guys get, you know, another shot at becoming a a head coach in this time with a very solid roster and doing uh, you know, a terrific job with that team when they had LaMarcus Aldridge and uh, Batum, et cetera, um, and winning the 50-plus for the two years and then, of course, having a terrific year last year with the 44. Now, uh, I was looking up uh, some things you know, about your career. So your first NBA job was in Kansas City, correct? It was the old Kansas City Kings uh, under the – Leadership of Cotton, the late Cotton Fitzsimmons, who was a just a terrific coach and a, and a really, really terrific gentleman and uh, a larger than life character in the league. If anybody had the good fortune to know Cotton, I, I think they know what I'm talking about. <laughs> a master tor- storyteller and a guy that made the NBA a, 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 an obsession and a career and a and a livelihood. Uh, he went on to coach the Suns, right? He did go on to coach the Phoenix Suns. Uh, he coached for a, a, a moment with the San Antonio Spurs. He actually left us to go down to San Antonio and then was later with the, the Phoenix Suns. What, what was, I, I, I imagine that the NBA 
is a much different universe, I guess, now than it was back then in the 80s. I mean, what could like what are some of the biggest differences that you see now? I mean, I know that your job in calling the games probably, you know, is probably pretty similar. But I guess what things do you notice now? What things maybe stand out, you know, in in covering the NBA now as a broadcaster to when it was, you know, back in the 80s when you started? Well, that's an easy one, specialization. And, and, you know, we're talking about coaching. Let's start there. Con Fitzsimmons had a longtime assistant, Frank Hamlin, who later joined Phil Jackson in uh, Chicago for uh, all those great years that the Bulls had in the 90s. Well, Frank Hamlin was a longtime assistant, Con Fitzsimmons. But he had one assistant. And we had one trainer, the late late Billy Jones. He was a terrific trainer. But Billy also was equipment manager, uh, semi-team doctor, uh, confidant, guru. Uh, you know, we had three guys on staff, Eric. I mean, it's hard to believe, but we had three guys on staff. We did not uh, bring an equipment manager with us. That was usually handled by the home team. They would, you know, lend some assistance, uh, you know, to bring baggage and so forth in. You know, players were, uh, now hold your breath, players were responsible for handling their own bags because at that time we traveled commercially. Oh, wow. So another yeah. big difference. We were traveling commercial air. Everybody did, uh, which meant, you know, if you're playing, if you're in Kansas City and you, you play a home game and you've got a game the next night, um, you were unable to fly out that night uh, for the most case. Uh, yeah. I mean, there just weren't any flights out that late at night. If you're going to, let's just say, Salt Lake City, you'd have to, you'd have to get up the next morning. You'd, you'd, get up the, you'd grab that first flight at 6 a.m., a lot of times, because of weather, because of availability seating or whatever, the team would be split. Uh, you would you would take the starter, the five starters and the coach, get big seats, get the first-class seats or the best seats you could get, or any seats, make sure that they were in, uh, in that first flight and on their way to Salt Lake City. And then the rest of us, if there weren't seats available on that 6 a.m. flight, would take the 7 o'clock or the 8 a.m., meaning you know the broadcasters, the um, the rest of the squad, you know, second <laughs> unit, uh, the rookies or whatever. But that was usually the case is you would try to get that, that first five, maybe the eight man rotation in your head coach and your trainer on that flight and get them into the next town. So uh, those are the biggest differences. I think, um, the fact that the, the staffs now are so specialized, you have, you know, geez, anywhere from five to eight guys over there on that bench. Right. Um, with you know, now they're called associate head coaches. You know, they used to be assistant coaches. Now you got a couple of associate. Now you've got guys that are coaching defense. Uh, Golden State Warriors being an example. Rod Adams is going to coach the defense. Luke Walton's going to coach your offense, and you got Steve Kerr overseeing them and so forth. Um, that I think are, are the, the two biggest differences of the, the staffs. Uh, the amenities now, the team playing certainly make a huge bit of difference. Uh, the first team, I think, to get into that was uh, Mr. Davidson in there in Detroit uh, with the Pistons back in the early 90s. And then I think the Blazers got into it. And uh, I'm not sure who followed them in terms of the, the, the team flights, but it sure made a difference. You know, when the Sonics got their own airplane uh, at about 93, 94, something along those lines, because you were actually able to get out of town after a game was over and get into the next town, uh, albeit maybe one or two or sometimes three o'clock in the morning, but you know, you'd get up around 11 o'clock or noon to get the guys up, do a walkthrough or so forth, get them a, a, a nice lunch or, or breakfast or brunch, whatever it was. Then we'd be on the bus at four o'clock and headed to the gym. But that, that sure beat, 
you know, flying into town at 6 a.m. the day of a game, I'll tell you. Yeah, I, I bet it would make a difference to wake up. I mean, that, no, that's really interesting. And, you know, I guess you don't think about that now uh, as being such a, you know, being such a luxury as it as it probably was at the time to be able to get your own plane and be able to fly out. Uh, that You know, that is really cool. Uh, and I kind of wanted to ask you, too, I know you were uh, you were at the finals. It was a historic finals. Do you do you go back and do you go back and watch those games? Because you know, and and how amazing was that to kind of see Cleveland come back the way they did to to win that championship? Well, Kyrie Irving, I thought, just came to the fore in Game Six and Seven. Just was terrific. I mean, hit clutch shots. Uh, Tristan Thompson, phenomenal. There's just to see. These two guys develop as they did during the course of the year. You know, Kyrie obviously coming back from the, the horrible disappointment of uh, the broken kneecap in game one of the finals last year. And then not coming back until December. Remember, you know, it wasn't yeah. like this, this this guy ginned up in October and over to Geneva have the full camp and so forth. He came back in December. And Tristan Thompson, a lot of people were questioning the wisdom of Cleveland bringing him back at those kind of numbers. Uh, no more. <laughs> because I thought, I thought he was phenomenal. Uh, he is a very bright kid. We, that was the other thing I thought that was, it was fun from my standpoint, working for ESPN radio, the way we did is, is, uh, the way we were able to really get to know the teams, the staffs, the players themselves, as sometimes only you can, when you roll in there, as certainly as the rights holders as ESPN, uh, are, uh, but to, to approach from a national level where you have access to both teams, obviously, and seen as objective reporters, uh, you get a chance to sit down and talk to these guys. And I'll tell you, Tristan Thompson just did, for us, just did the most marvelous, insightful, and very intelligent uh, scouting reports on the Golden State Warriors, talking about how to defend the pick and roll, the tendencies of Thompson, the tendencies of Curry as well. When he stepped out and he switched on some of those screens, I, I thought he, he he was a big difference, uh, certainly in the series. And, and you know, look, LeBron is LeBron's just a force. The way he got his game reeled in, um, you, you got his game economical is what I call it. Uh, he, there were there were fewer fewer chancy passes, more calc- better calculation of his game and what needed to be done during the course of the game, and then just the ability to. You know, take advantage of uh, the, the splintered nature, I thought, of the Golden State Warriors, just the way they unraveled on that night in Cleveland, the way they did with uh, with Green getting into it, with uh, LeBron, obviously, and then Steph Curry throwing the mouthpiece into the stands. I mean, that was so uncharacteristic of the Golden State Warriors and of Curry. You could just see mentally a little unraveling of the Warriors. And I thought the Cavaliers were very patient. They figured they could walk them down. Uh, I thought Teron Liu was um, very resolute in the way that he wanted to play the game. He wasn't going to allow the Warriors. He wasn't going to allow the media, the outside influences to get to him. There was a way that he felt they should play, and it wasn't looking good early, uh, that's for sure, in the series, but they stayed with it. Uh, they did make you know a few accommodations, I thought, um, but just just looking at the way the Cavaliers uh, came on during that series, I thought was um, it was gratifying to me, uh, simply because I was uh, I was there, I was exposed to it, and, and really enjoyed just 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 seeing the way the Cavaliers stayed with the plan and and uh, seeing it pay off for them. 
Yeah, that that series was incredible. Uh, the way LeBron, you know, really took advantage of you said that they did, they really did splinter. They kind of they they cracked a little bit. It was really really odd to see the way they did that because you just you just didn't see that from Golden State pretty much over the last two years. Not even just last year when they won seventy three games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess. How do you? I'm kind of interested in in the the preparation that I guess goes into the season. At what point do you start? Are you already preparing for the Blazers season? Do you start preparing in a couple of weeks? I mean, how do you approach that? Do you like how do you balance? I guess the you know making sure that you take enough time off so that you're you're fresh, and then also you know kind of getting prepared for for the season to come. Now that you're back with a team for 82 games. Well, you know, I've I made it a point to go down to the mini camp. I caught a couple of practices at the mini camp before the kids took off. The young men took off for uh, Vegas, and I went down to Vegas uh, for NBA TV and worked uh, uh, a couple of days down there, actually doing other teams' games. Unfortunately, I didn't get the draw and didn't get a chance to do a Blazer game, but caught a couple of Blazer outings. Was able to talk to Terry Stotts, uh, set up a meeting with Terry, and and got a chance to sit down and just from his perspective, get an idea of what he expected the team to do this coming year. Uh, I sat down with Neil O'Shea after the dust had cleared on uh, the the work that he had done, the extensive work he had done this summer, just to get an idea of what his blueprint for the season is going to be and where he sees uh, his team going and so forth and just kind of establish a relationship and a rapport with, with Neil and with Terry. Terry, of course, I've known for years and, uh, Neil, I've known of, but have never really had an opportunity to sit down and, and chat with Neil. Uh, so that was, uh, I think, import, important for me uh, to be able to get a, an idea of you know where they saw their team going, and then doing some uh, events down in Portland as well, attending a couple of uh, charity golf tournaments down there that the Blazers sponsored, uh, attending the, the Bill Shanley charity golf tournament. That was a lot of fun to you know to be able to go out and talk to guys like. Dave Twardzik and Bobby Gross, two key components of that championship team, and Bill Walton was there as well, and be able to sit down and talk to Bill and Bobby and and Dave about the championship uh, and and the great years that they had in the in the late seventies. And of course, I'd worked with Dr. Jack Ramsey extensively for ESPN Radio, and so I'd had Jack's perspective of you know what went on in the the championship year and and, and the build up to the year. Mm-hmm. And then be able to, over the years, obviously have a relationship with Bill Shonley and then uh, to be able to talk to Bill this summer about uh, some of the good times as well and, and what the Blazers mean to the community. I mean, that's, that stuff's really important. I mean, it's important to know the players, the staff, and so forth, but I think it's vitally important as well to get to know some of the fans down there. So I've, I've been able to do that. We've spent uh, a fair amount of time in Portland. We're going to move into Portland the uh, third week of September. We've got a big wedding coming up the uh, first week of September. My son's going to get married here in Seattle. So we got a lot of folks coming in from out of town to Seattle. So we're going to take care of them. And then once everybody leaves town, we are going to load up the truck and move to Beverly. We're heading to <laughs> Portland. We're heading to Portland. Then uh, the third week of September, and then we've got the rip city review. We're going to, we're going to hit, I don't know how many cities we're going to hit around the, the state of Oregon, but, we're headed your way, more than likely, uh, wherever you may be. And, you know, if it's uh, Cannon Beach or Manzanita or Pendleton, Oregon, or, you know, east, west, north, or south Oregon, we're going to be there uh, for our, our week-long Rip City uh, review, our rally. We're going we're gonna to spread the 
the the gospel of the Blazers uh, that third week of September, and then we go to camp and away we go, man. Uh, you know, we're we're headed toward that opener against the Utah Jazz. Wow. Well, uh, Kevin, uh, thank you so much for for joining me on this podcast. It really is a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, and I guess one last thing, I mean, what, what do you want, uh, what should Blazer fans expect, uh, from your broadcast, uh, from, from what the work that you're going to be doing, uh, this upcoming season? Well, we're going to give the score a lot. Um, (laughs) (laughs) and you laugh, but I, I get frustrated when guys don't give the score and I know it's on the screen, but you know, uh, mom's back there in the kitchen making dinner and dad's wrestling around on the floor with the kids. It's always, you know, we're not continually glued to the tube. It's nice to have while you've got the sound up on the tube to hear the announcer, give the score. Uh, the pertinent numbers obviously, uh, will constantly be a part of our broadcast. We'll have a storyline. We will follow the storyline. We will follow the story in the, Tell you about the players, what they're doing, how they relate. Tell you about the other team as well. We'll be respectful to the officials and the job that they do. We'll have an understanding of the rules. We will not get in the way of the broadcast. Uh, It won't be about where we were at dinner the night before. Uh, There will be, you know, no inside conversations that fans aren't aware of. We're going to keep it to basketball. Um, And uh, we'll keep all our broadcasts. Analysts, play-by-play guys, the directors, producers, everybody's going to have a hand on the podcast. So, I think, and the bottom line is just to have fun, be passionate with it, uh, and care about it. And, and we'll certainly do that. No, no doubt about it. All right. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, thank you for joining me. Uh, it's been a pleasure. My pleasure, Eric. Let's do it again. All right. Well, I hope that you all enjoyed that. Thank you again to Kevin Calabro for coming on the podcast. Thank you again to David Locke, the podfather of this network. I know that Bill Simmons is more commonly known as the podfather, but David Locke is our podfather here on Locked On on the Locked On Podcast Network. Uh, so thanks again to David for his help with with getting Kevin on the podcast and uh, it, it was a lot of fun. He's got a lot of stories, lots of experience. Cool to hear him talk about the differences between, at least for me, to talk about the differences between the NBA in the 80s and the NBA today. A young Terry Stotts. I mean, all that stuff was was pretty cool for me to do. Uh, and I hope that you all enjoyed it as well. Thank you for joining me this week on the Locked On Blazers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Again, we keep on expanding in the NBA, in the NFL. We are going to continue to bring you even better content as we continue. So look for your favorite NFL teams. I know that a lot of people probably listening to this podcast are Seahawks fans. We are working on a locked on Seahawks podcast and it will be in the works. It's coming. It's coming this way soon from what I've been told, but not yet, but we have 23 other NFL teams. I think we have 27 NBA teams. And then of course we have fantasy for both football and basketball. So definitely be sure to, Check on the network. I'm not going to be in Monday uh, with a podcast. Got a wedding this weekend. It's a late wedding on Sunday, so uh, not going to be able to be back here Monday for the podcast. But be sure to check back on your feeds next week for more Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and we will catch you next week. Thanks for joining me.
Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.